Part 25, Hall of Famer. I owe Lute Olson. The famous collegiate basketball coach was the centerpiece of a bet I made at Don and Charlie's Supper Club in Scottsdale. For five years in the 90s, I spent the month of January in Arizona working the Phoenix Open. And Don's was my favorite kitchen. The bar was pretty nice, too. Prior to closing in 2019, the place had one of the most valuable sports memorabilia collections in the world and attracted a cavalcade of celebrities during the golf tournament and for baseball spring training. I'd visit at least twice a week. The posted business hours of 4 to 10 p.m. were perfect for a guy who started work at 7 a.m. and kept going till the last client had been thoroughly wined and dined. One particular evening, my client du jour departed at 9 o'clock, leaving me to catch a few stories from owner Don Carson's regular clientele that had dwindled to about half a dozen. The usual suspects were mostly expatriates to the Valley of the Sun. They were restaurateurs, financial advisors, attorneys, and realtors, who were allowed to hang out past the self-imposed last call at 9.30, and for as long as the staff was still cleaning and prepping for the next day. The 9 to 11 patrons had the best conversations. And the place was free of tourists and vacationing friends from back home in some Midwestern state, East Coast borough, or Canadian province. It wasn't always sports, but on this night, their banter turned to basketball, an analysis of whether Mr. Olson's Arizona Wildcats could build on their visit to the Sweet 16 in the previous year's NCAA tournament. The gathering of five men and two women went quiet when I grabbed a pause in their debate. I have a bet for you all, I offered in a I-know-something-you-don't-know tone. At 33 years old, I was at least a decade younger than the regulars of the upscale throwback supper club that served red meat and post-war nostalgia with, nostalgia with Sinatra and Tony Bennett. They knew my face as new, and as the youngster working at the golf tourney, who usually didn't speak until spoken to. All right, what do you got, kid? As time went on, I got called kid a lot and liked it. I'll bet a round for the bar against my tab, and nobody here can tell me where Lute Olson played college basketball. There's no way my per diem could cover a meal and seven drinks at a fashionable Scottsdale establishment, so the bet was a Lee Trevino move. Supermax was one of the best and most popular pro golfers of his era, and a quote machine. As a young man, he was known to hustle country club members in Dallas. Putting for 50 grand on the tour is nothing, Trevino would say. Pressure is when you're playing for 10 bucks a hole and only have five in your pocket. Bar bets, remembrance challenges, and know-it-allness was way more fun in the days before everyone had the universe in their pocket. Even though there was almost never a way to prove who was right, that's why Guinness created the Book of Records, by the way. There was an integrity to the debates that were usually decided by de facto juries who would judge the evidence and credibility of the witnesses. 
when the jury was hung, plaintiff counsel would offer a second closing argument. I know I'm right. Go look it up. Followed by the defense. No, you go look it up. Don's regulars silently pondered possible outcomes and the shared risk, then nodded. Okay, you're on. The women shook their heads. Liz looked around and rolled her eyes. The things you guys remember, Patty chimed in. And we'll bet on, she exclaimed. Whatever, count us in. I was feeling pretty good when the first three guesses were for Iowa. Then I started to feel Lee's pressure from a guy named Al, who said, Everyone thinks Luke's from Iowa because that's where he made his name coaching. My eyes thinned. In bar bets, there's always that SOB who knows stuff you shouldn't know. I figured my goose was on a rotisserie. Al finished. But Luke played ball at Long Beach State. My cheekbones went high and filled with smug. Nope, I smiled. Al was doubtful. What? No? No, sir. That was his first college job. Now I was in the clear. It was just one guy left, Phil, and he hadn't said a word. I assumed he didn't know anything about basketball and was counting on the others for a free drink. Then he started to speak with an authority that puts assumers in their place. Lute Olson is from North Dakota. He went to a little Lutheran college. My heart sank. His name is short for Luther. The smug in my cheeks turned to stroke. Holy crap. Phil knows even more meaningless stuff than Al. My boss who introduced me to the restaurant was going to laugh at me. and My wife was going to kill me. Phil was very deliberate as he put the final basting on my goose. Lute Olson played at a little-known school in the Northland. Enough, enough, get on with it, Phil, I thought. Mayville, North Dakota. Seven heads simultaneously turned to me. Surely such a confident and obscure response was no guess. He had me beat. And Angel, the bartender, started taking orders. Lute did play in Mayville, I said with a sulk as cheers went up. But I broke their revelry. Only on the playgrounds. Phil sensed the ace up my sleeve and grinned as Al protested. What are you talking about? I continued. He was raised in Mayville and won a high school state title there. But Robert Luther Olson was a three-sport star and male athlete of the year at little-known Augsburg College in Minneapolis, my alma mater. They all groaned at the overwhelming evidence. The middle name thing closed the case, and the gracious losers even ponied up for Angel's tip. I earned a free stake and got to brag rather than grovel to my boss and my wife. Moreover, it was an unofficial induction as a regular and would lead to what would become as close as I get to a Hall of Fame. I came to be friends with the staff and Don Carson. 
whose family owns Carson's Ribs in Chicago, and my image was featured prominently on the wall by the bar amid autographed pictures of people like Arnold Palmer, Hank Aaron, John Elway, and Billie Jean King. It hung right below Joe DiMaggio. When I'd return each year, Don would greet me with tongue-in-cheek flattery. People keep asking, who's the guy above pick? My photo on the wall had nothing to do with the Lute Olsen bet. One of the nuances of Don and Charlie's was that there was no Charlie. But Don would constantly make up excuses for why his partner wasn't at the restaurant on any particular night. During those pre-child days when Mary Beth and I both traveled a lot, I would go from 45 consecutive days of work in Arizona to four days in Kirk Blanchard's ice fishing house on Lake of the Woods along the Canadian border. The sun worshippers were aghast that anyone would drive two miles from shore on frozen water and further amazed that I looked forward to a hundred degree reduction in temperature. Don, with more tongue-in-cheek, told me to send a postcard. The landscape out across Lake of the Woods resembles Antarctica. It was a perfect backdrop for Don's postcard. It was minus 15 on the lake, but I dropped my parka hood, donned a Don and Charlie's hat, and held up a fresh-caught walleye so one of the boys could take my picture. After a trip to Pro-X Photoshop, a Xana retail outlet that developed film from actual cameras, I had the photo enlarged and signed it for Mr. Carson. Quote, Charlie's fish, but he's back behind the fish house, sitting on a toilet seat over a pickle bucket. Best to all. Unquote. Don put it on the wall, and the DiMaggio references started the next time I returned. The photo was a fun conversation piece for whenever I'd bring new clients, family, or friends to Don and Charlie's. I was hosting a newly promoted region manager named Cindy one Friday when PGA golfer Fuzzy Zeller came in with a dozen or so friends from around his home territory of Floyd's Knobs, Indiana. They were celebrating two good days of golf that had him near the top of the leaderboard. Eminem Mars, a Phoenix Open sponsor and our client at the time, is a progressive company, and Cindy was a glass-ceiling-breaking rising star back before women dominated marketing departments and new hire rosters. She played her cards professionally and close to the vest. The welcoming atmosphere had her at ease, though. At an hour usually reserved for regulars and late-arriving celebrities, we were enjoying tactical conversations about how to sell even more candy and ice cream. She pointed toward Zeller's group. It's after ten. Shouldn't he be getting some sleep? Probably, I said. Then asked Angel for a pen and paper. On it, I wrote, quote, You won't be worth a shit tomorrow anyway, so here's another round. Compliments of M&M Mars. Give our tent on the 18th a wave as you go by, unquote. Cindy laughed and said, This is great. I'm buying. 
Server took the note back behind the accordion wall that gave Fuzzy and friends some privacy. The room went quiet as he read the note aloud to his friends, who laughed and cheered. The next day, Zeller hit to the opposite side of the 18th fairway, but walked across to genuflect at the crowd of candy buyers in our corporate tent, who roared in approval as Cindy smiled about incremental impressions. I shook the basketball coach's hand just once in a reception line. He wouldn't have known me from Adam. But Robert Luther Olson set a pick for me that opened a lane to countless memories at a home away from home, and I owe him. My Hall of Fame is all closed up. May he rest in peace in his.